0: The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finlay, Exploring the Orthodox Faith, through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. On February 8,
1: 2010, the very Reverend Jack N. Sparks departed this life to the mansions above. Father Jack had a very profound impact on my life And it was through a conversation I had with him back in May of 1977 in Nashville, Tennessee, that I decided to move across the country to Goleta, California, and enroll as a student in the Academy of Orthodox Theology, later to become the St. Athanasius Academy of Orthodox Theology. I was also privileged to travel up to Eagle River, Alaska, last weekend with my wife, Janie, to bury Father Jack on February 12th and 13th. In this session, I would like to share with you a lecture that he presented at the very first Missions and Evangelism Conference in Goleta, California in 1988. It is uh, what I would call Vintage Sparks. I hope you will enjoy it as much as I enjoy listening to it over and over again, as I have through the past few years. And may God grant mercy and rest to his soul. Amen.
2: I am supposed to talk about who might be interested. I can't think of anybody. <laughs> I'm assuming, you know, that when we talk about mission and evangelism, we're thinking about the larger and the long-term goal of making America orthodox. Well, the whole world orthodox, but starting with America, okay? And within the range of that goal, I see at least three necessary tasks which we all are involved in to some extent or another at some time in our lives. First of all, raising the level of knowledge concerning the Orthodox faith. I mean, people have to know about it, right? So we're going to do that. Secondly, helping people to embrace as much as possible of Orthodox faith and practice whoever they may be and whatever their church connection. Helping them get as far as they can toward the Orthodox faith. That means helping people in, helping people who are not in Orthodox churches to get knowledge about God and knowledge of God to grow to be like God. And finally, to build Orthodox churches in this land. Well, now, with that as background, let's start out on the business of dealing with people who are out here. who people, all of whom are unchurched, unrepentant, and uninterested. We know that they're uninterested, right? Every one of them. Who's a candidate for conversion? Nobody I can think of. When we start thinking about it, we can't think of anyone, can we? As a matter of fact, of the people that we know. Uh, Even even our church members, right? Even the people in our parishes. We think, my goodness, which of them is really interested in knowing God? As a matter of fact, when I think about myself, well, who is interested? Well, the fact of the matter is that all through the centuries
3: of the Church's existence,
2: there have been converts, have there not? People have become interested in God, people have grown in Christ, and so... <laughs> Because of that, we expect to find others. Now, I myself am a convert. Obviously, I'm a convert. I didn't grow up in an Orthodox church, but I mean, uh, in, in those terms, I have gone through a long series of steps over a long career. I wasn't born yesterday, you know.
3: <laughs> I grew up, uh, I grew
2: up nominally a Methodist in high school I was in the MYF as a matter of fact I was president of the local MYF and president of the the district MYF I went away to college I just forgot about the whole thing as a matter of fact I didn't have time for any of that Uh, I think I went to the Methodist Student Center one time that was it I did not go to a church during my days in college and I seldom went uh, during my years in graduate school afterward or in my years in the army but uh, when I was in the army this is during the Korean War I found something changing that is my whole life changed I found a wife
3: (laughs) 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 and (laughs) it's
2: a strange it was a strange situation you know Uh, I ended up on the officer surgical ward of Brooke Army Medical Center in San Antonio and there was a girl, a second lieutenant from Montana, who was the nurse on the officer surgical ward. She had two patients. She had me and General Wainwright. General Wainwright died.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, here was a woman who,
2: during nurse's training, had got interested in God. She'd become... She, she as a matter of fact, had... In her heart a desire to know God and she prayed she didn't say things to me like why don't you go to church or why don't we go to church she just prayed and uh, we had a child I was released from active duty went to become a teacher in Chicago suburbs very interesting thing happened we went to look for apartments. You can look for apartments. They're pretty tough, isn't it? And especially if you've got a baby you're carting around, you're hot, you're tired. I mean, it's, it's July. That's when it is. It was July in Chicago area, Chicago suburbs. Oh, and a lady whose apartment we were looking at, this, this woman was living in this apartment, invited us to have lunch with her. How very kind. We got the apartment. She moved into a smaller one in the same building. And a few days later, uh, we met her in the hall. And she says, um, I don't know where you were thinking about going to church.
3: <laughs> I wasn't thinking about going to church. I, I, didn't
2: I It wasn't on my mind. I mean, it wasn't that I was against it, do you understand? I just wasn't thinking about it. That's all. I suppose in a certain sense, you have to, have to think of me as uninterested. I mean, I wasn't... Antagonistic? I just wasn't interested. But, she said, if you just want to go to church to save your conscience, interesting comment. If you just want to go to church to save your conscience, there's one down the block here. But if you want to go to church to know God, you need to go to this church. And she named the one. Well, I wasn't going to have a woman who had been so kind to us think we wouldn't go to church if she thought we should,
3: <laughs> nor was I about to go to one
2: which would only solve my conscience.
3: <laughs> so
2: we went to the church that she spoke of and we found people who really cared about us. It happened to be one of the, one of the Bible churches in the Chicago area. That was the beginning of a trek for me because it wasn't long before I was deeply immersed. And that trek is one which involved many, many years. But that was the start. From that point on, I was sold on knowing God. And whatever I did, whatever I went after, something connected with knowing God had to be there. Went to, went to Colorado as a faculty member at uh, University of Northern Colorado in, in Greeley after finishing my doctorate at Iowa. And uh, I hadn't been there very long until a man came to see me. Two men came to see me. One of them was Richard Ballou. These two men were uh, staff members of Campus Crusade for Christ. and This uh, Ballou person said to me, uh, uh, we were wondering if you'd like to be the sponsor of Campus Crusade for Christ in this campus. I wasn't interested in that. I didn't think that, they, that there should be one there. I thought there were plenty of youth groups as it was. I was, the, uh, I was the director of the youth group for the evangelical free church in town. I could not imagine why we needed another youth group on the campus. I said, forget it.
3: <laughs>
2: A few months later, I was the faculty sponsor for Campus <laughs> Shooting <say>, for Christ. <laughs> it was 1960. I've known the man ever since. He's just as nasty as he was then. (laughs) But, this long track, and I won't go into the rest of it, because we don't have time for that, we have to talk about important things. What about other people? Who might be interested? What about the religious people? How many, how, 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 is there any possibility that religious people might be interested in knowing God? Well, Jesus found (laughs) religious people who primarily were not interested in knowing God, right? The, The Pharisees the Pharisees at least put on a show but they sure didn't want to know him and weren't interested in what he was talking about but one night one of them came to see him one night one of them came to see him a man by the name of Nicodemus very prominent among the Pharisees and he said um, uh, teacher uh, we know that uh, you've come from God because you couldn't do the signs that you're doing without that um, was about to continue but Jesus interrupted and said, "Well, tell you what, ain't no one going to get in the kingdom of God unless he's born again." <laughs> now what's I got to do is well, I just started a religious conversation with you.
3: <laughs>
2: Boom. You see, one of the important things that we have to learn about dealing with people is we are not responsible for their conversion. That's number one. We are not responsible for their conversion. We are responsible to hear God and do what God tells us to do. Now that was a very striking thing for the Lord to do. And it is not often that one would do that, but sometimes you would do a striking thing. Nevertheless, you go as your led. But you simply must not consider yourself responsible for converting people. But well, you are responsible to be the servant of God which you are. In addition, you're not responsible for convincing people. You don't have to argue them into the kingdom. I can't think of very many people who ever got argued into the kingdom, actually. But you're not responsible for that. You can relax, you see. You can relax and you can talk about the faith without feeling tension. And the Lord dealt with Nicodemus wonderfully. As a matter of fact when the time came that our Lord was crucified who left his disciples who showed up who came who came to take his body from off the cross Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus the Pharisee can you believe it here was this Pharisee rich man I mean those are the least likely candidates right how many rich men do you know who are interested in the gospel I mean if you were to count the rich men in your town if you decide well I'm going to go to the rich men in this town and I re- all I want to do is talk about knowing God and being servants of God being obedient to God let's see now who will I go to you would not go to very many of them would you because you wouldn't think of them as candidates. Nevertheless, the two who came were Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And tradition tells us that both these men continued to play a part in the development of the church. But here were two who fit into the categories that we think of as uninterested. People who are very much into other religions or into their particular brand of something or other, or who are highly intellectual, And people who are rich are among the people we do not think of as candidates. Okay, so they may not be. But, who knows? We're not responsible for converting them, but we're responsible to be servants of God who act like servants of God. St. Paul. Now, there is one for you, St. Paul. What made this man a candidate? Well, he said he wasn't a candidate until the Lord struck him down. Well, perhaps or perhaps not. Maybe the striking down came because Paul was prepared. Certainly we knew, we know that St. That, that Paul witnessed the martyrdom of St. Stephen and was not exactly against it. We know that he was persecuting the Christians. So, I'll tell you, some of the people that you see who Appear to be enemies of the church are quite likely the best candidates. But it's wisdom and is hearing the Holy Spirit that brings the right message to their hearts. Dionysius the Areopagite. First bishop of Athens. Well, <laughs> where do we get him? Saint Paul goes to Athens and he learns about this place where the philosophers debate. There's was a place called? Um, yes, the Areopagus. And he goes there. Can you imagine Saint Paul, this insignificant Jew? Almost an insignificant little Jew, because some uh, some traditions uh, think it call him small, this insignificant Jew standing there on whatever the platform might be, but standing in front of all these people and saying, Little Athens, you can see these philosophers there. "Who is this character? <laughs> Where did he come from? He doesn't know anything he can't know anything. He's a barbarian. he 's not a philosopher." He doesn't wear the clothes of a
3: philosopher.
2: And we've never seen him around here. And nobody ever heard of him. What does he mean? But it goes on and it says at the end of the passage that some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Dionysius the Areopagite. And Dionysius of Corinth calls him the first bishop of of Athens well what was Dionysius we don't know we think he was probably a philosopher probably an intellectual but something caught him and through the, throughout the history of the church the same thing has happened think of another philosopher St. Justin Martyr I mean, you Justin Martyr knew everything there was about philosophy. He had had touched on everything. And yet, I mean, talk about your big league academics. Justin was. And yet, somehow or another, the Spirit of God touched him. You think of him as uninterested, probably, if you'd seen him? Sure. But God touched him. And he became probably the most outstanding of the apologists of the second and third centuries. Others don't seem so outstanding. Yeah, they stand out in other ways. There was the woman at the well, you know. Now she was not exactly; uh, she certainly wasn't a big league academic. She wasn't. Uh, she wasn't uh, in 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 the class of the academics. She wasn't. Uh, particularly religious as a matter of fact she was a woman who went from man to man just ever however things happened to roll out you know I mean whatever bed was most convenient and yet the Lord touched her and she became a disciple we've got a long history of those too you know coming into the church uh, St. Mary of Egypt was the same thing actually she was worse she was an actress and nothing worse than an actress is there Tiffany?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: she was an actress and a prostitute she had a long career in Alexandria well known this woman ended up in Jerusalem being converted on the steps of the Holy Sepulcher and then what did she do? Did she run around town saying, "I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian," and did they put her on the circuit?
3: <laughs> you on know, the circuit. Hey, listen.
2: She fled to the desert of Palestine to repent of her sins and know God. She led a life of complete isolation for forty-seven years. I don't think she ever intended to leave the desert. I think she probably figured she would never be heard of again on this earth. And yet, after being in the desert 47 years, she met a priest named Zosimus who gave her communion and prepared her for death, and the whole church, the whole Orthodox church remembers St. Mary of Egypt every year in our Lenten calendar. Who would have thought of her as a candidate for conversion or similar people today? I'll tell you, um, I've run across a lot in my time. A lot of different people. I remember when I was a professor at Penn State working with a man who was a Methodist who um, was not really interested in God as a matter of fact calling him a Methodist is being rather kind because he didn't go to church didn't care about church but he'd grown up a Methodist so he called himself a Methodist we used to have conversations he told me years later when he was a professor at uh, the University of New York and Buffalo that it was those conversations that changed him but the thing that changed him most was my willingness to just talk about these things without trying to pin him down well I don't know if that's always the right answer or not sometimes people need to be pinned down it's certainly not always the case but the point is that you don't have to be responsible when we went to Berkeley in 1969 We went into one of the strangest scenes I've ever been in my life. I mean, after being an academic all those years, we went into Berkeley to establish a body of believers within the context of the street and radical scene. We were with students, street people, and radicals for all those years. And we were in a context which was very different for me, meeting people who were different, and certainly people who would not be thought of ordinarily as candidates for the gospel. I'll never forget one young woman who uh, some of our people picked up off the streets. She had just run away from her home in Elmhurst, Illinois. Eh, she hadn't just run away. She'd run away from her home in Elmhurst, Illinois almost a year ago and she'd been living on the streets in Berkeley. I mean, live, I mean literally living on the streets. As a matter of fact, The first time my wife and I gave her a ride back from one of the Christian meetings that she came to. We used to hold a a, a meeting, a very unusual kind of Christian meeting. And uh, we gave her a ride. Where do you want to go? Telegraph Avenue. She got out of the car. she She says, I never feel safe till I'm back on the Avenue
3: uh, I mean, <laughs> here at 11
2: o'clock at night on Telegraph Avenue and I know she was going to sleep in a doorway but this girl this girl was transformed within a period of time became a Christian <coughs> the first time that she took part in a Christian wedding as a, as a bridesmaid the, the, the bride had made lovely gowns for all the, the bridesmaids and Annie came up to me she lifted her skirt about an inch off the floor and underneath were these old, beat-up, worn-out tennis shoes. (laughs) That's all all she had to wear for shoes. (laughs) And yet, the last time I saw her, she was back in her home in Homer, Illinois, a lovely family. And she was going to school. She was taking part in her local church, the parish. And this girl, was intent upon knowing God. In one of the churches on the west coast there is a woman well she may not be the only one from such a circumstance there is a woman whom we first ran across on a hippie ranch in northern California she was on this hippie ranch living in a little hut that she had built herself growing organic vegetables and organic marijuana (laughs) and she was just really loving the natural life (laughs) today now, now this woman had quite a struggle I tell you there was quite a struggle for this woman in changing the culture changing her cultural concept. But one thing that showed upon first contact with her was an interest. She was interested in knowing God. So we just kept pursuing her. She moved out from there. Today, to make a long story short, she is a very active member of an Orthodox Church on the West Coast. She is a mother of several lovely children who are also intent on knowing God. We ran across many like that. Many of varied backgrounds in that context. And one thing I learned there more than I had any other place that I had ever been in my life was you never can tell. You do not know. You don't have a you talk to people about this and about that you talk to them about your own life you talk to them about what you're doing you talk to them about the things that are important to you something sometimes touches a spark now the fact of the matter is that most of the people you know that is, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your city, the people on the campuses near you, and the people who sit in the big office buildings near you. Most of those people have never had a quiet and serious conversation with anyone about God. And you don't have to be specially prepared with weapons sharp answers all you have to be is a Christian who willingly cares about the other person I have thought of late about all the people that we worked with and knew in those days in Berkeley many of them I don't even know where they are today but I can point to a lot of those people who ended up in Berkeley out of varied backgrounds some were radicals some were street people just living on the street Some were students at the university. But I can point to you people from each of those categories who now are Orthodox Christians, vital Orthodox Christians, whose lives have been transformed, whose lives are being transfigured. And they are being that because people cared about them. And people cared enough about them to talk about their own experiences and about their knowledge of God and about the, about the whole concept of coming to know and to be like God. I, As I told you, I came from a nominal methodist background. I've, I've been struck in the past year by the fact that I have run across four different Methodist ministers in this past year who are intent upon becoming Orthodox. I um, had a letter from one in New York back last winter. I delayed writing to him uh, again and I finally wrote and told him some things that he might think about. And I didn't hear from him but shortly thereafter I was in Buffalo, Niagara Falls area our um, Orthodoxy Sunday, and I was speaking in the Greek Church, though it was the the it was a, a joint Orthodoxy Sunday, obviously, of all the Orthodox churches in the area. I was in the Greek Church, and we had the the Orthodoxy Sunday Vespers, and and, and I gave a homily there, and spoke afterward in the hall, and two men came up to me at the end and introduced themselves and one of them said he was the Methodist minister he'd been writing to me and he said my friend is a Methodist minister too (laughs) and said I want you to know that we are both now convinced that we want to be Orthodox Christians now I'm not even sure they understood all that they were saying but some of the things that they saw and heard that they experienced were things they wanted you see that's the point there. And if someone had not cared enough about them to let them know those things and to bring them, it would never have happened. And that falls upon the back of a certain Orthodox pastor in Jamestown, New York. An Orthodox priest in Jamestown, New York, who was willing to put in time with these Methodist ministers. And he didn't talk to them about ecumenical matters and he didn't get, did not engage in ecumenical dialogue. He talked to them about the orthodox concept of knowing God. This was what reached these two men. I know a physician today who with his family was on the verge of joining an orthodox church. A year ago, he hadn't even thought about such a thing. But someone made a remark to him in his office. And he said, oh. And a conversation followed. This physician said to me recently, you know, I was going along quite satisfied with my life. I was doing well enough. There was no zip in my spiritual life. But I was getting along. and My family were getting along. He said, suddenly, vistas have opened up. And I see in the holy orthodox faith a, a greater depth and possibility of knowing God than I had ever imagined existed. God is transforming him transfiguring there are many like him that I've encountered in my visits across the country as I look out in this crowd right here <laughs> looking at you you people, most of you people did not grow up in the Orthodox Church and those of you who did spent some time when you weren't particularly interested but something somewhere touched you and it touched you because of what someone did or said or was and probably the was, that is the is is more important than anything else you see we start talking about what makes something successful what makes any effort successful well I don't know I'm certainly not an example of a success of anything, but what makes an effort successful what makes an effort we will say to touch someone with the gospel successful there's someone you know someone that you really care about someone you really want to see touched what makes what you would do successful well it isn't you what makes it successful is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a responsive person now, who has the most success? We don't really know who has the most success. As a matter of fact, uh, some people say that Billy Graham is the most successful evangelist in the world today. I don't know. He may be. He is a very good man and he gets lots of responses, but I don't know, what, I don't know what's, what's happening in the lives of those people. I do not know what is happening in their hearts. Some people have more apparent success than others have. But it is not the apparent success that matters. It isn't even what we might what we might call success that matters. As a matter of fact, some people are just more talented at, something, at, at such things than others are. Um, you put my wife before a group like this, she would take the words that I have said to you, she would take the content I have said to you, and she could say it in three minutes she'd be done. she'd be through she'd sit down she'd have been shaking like a leaf the whole time but she'd sit down she'd be through she's not going to stand up and talk to a lot of people she might be much more successful but I'll tell you something you get her in a comfortable situation where she's sitting and talking with one person that woman will go on and on (laughs) But the things that she says touch hearts. It isn't talent. Regardless of your talent, you can be more skilled at this sort of thing by plunging in, by being a person who does talk openly, who does make an, does make an open secret of the fact that you love God I mean, you're not, you, you don't have to hide it, you know. You do not have to hide it. That's really important. Now, that doesn't mean you go around shouting at people. Uh, in the newspaper recently, there have been stories of some children somewhere who've been shouting at, outside of a, a school. I, I don't think that does any, shows any particular merit. Uh, I don't know what their hearts are like. You know, they may have a, ma- a major impact, but you don't have to be like that. Nobody says you do. Some people have said to me, I- I- I'm-, I'm-, I'm afraid to talk to uh, so-and-so because, well, you see, I might say the wrong thing. Uh, I-, I might drive her away from... The Lord and His church. If, if, if I talked,
3: what we really
2: need, we really need Father Peter to come. We really need Father Peter to come and sit down with her and talk with her and tell her how she can become an Orthodox Christian. And I know that if he does that, she will. Who knows? Father Peter's talked to a lot of people in his life. You don't see them all flocked in here.
3: <laughs> You see,
2: the basic point is that that kind of a fear is groundless. If you want to talk to someone, you talk to that person. And don't feel like you have to know a lot or be someone with with great talents in convincing others, in arguing, in debating. There are very few people who are turned off by a sincere interest and concern. Now, people do get turned off by by, by, some, by some people who bug them all over and over and over and over again. I don't know whether that's good or that's bad. Sometimes I think you need to bug some people. I, I talked with a man the night before last who said, You know, I gave up years ago talking to my father-in-law because he, he, let, he let me know that he didn't want to hear any more of <laughs> this stuff about God. The man today is in his late 70s, and he said... My two sons, his two sons are young adults, my two sons were absolutely astounded that I was not going to talk to this man about a relationship with God when he's on his deathbed, even though I knew that he was not interested in God, had not been all his life. And he said, I told him. Okay. You want him to talk to? You talk to him. And the two boys went to talk with him. One of them sat down beside him in his sick bed in the room where he was probably going to die very soon and started talking to him about knowing God. After about five minutes, the guy turned his head and said, Will you shut up about that? I don't want to hear any more of it. Okay at that point I think it's time to stop bugging him as a matter of fact it was probably right to have stopped bugging him years before but few people are turned off or driven away by sincere interest and concern regardless of who might do well there are some people who can do well you know people who can talk your socks off you listen to Father John Braun here and he's talking and going along and all of a sudden if you don't watch it he's got your (laughs) wallet
3: you see but that doesn't matter
2: that doesn't matter it is what, what matters is the touching of the heart and you can talk to someone who sounds to, sounds sincere and who sounds like he really wants to come into the church. He really wants to know God. But he was just listening to your lovely words. And shortly you see that that was what was happening. Because there's not an interest. The heart has not changed. That person does not want to worship God. And you see that he doesn't want to worship God. That's why I said it at the beginning. You know, sometimes we we wonder about some of our church members because they don't really care. Sometimes we wonder about ourselves because we realize we don't care enough. We 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 realize how unrepentant we are, don't we? Unchurched, unrepentant, disinterested. Look at yourself. Look at me. How interested, how repentant are we? Well, I said that over those years, over all those years, since that lady talked to me in Bensonville, I've wanted to know God. And I have. But how much? Maybe that much? All kinds of things take precedent in our lives, don't they? What is knowing God? Knowing God takes place here, inside. A transfiguration that begins and flows outward to redeem us, our lives, ourselves, totally. But how redeemed am I that depends on how repentant I am how interested I am this is as true of ourselves as it is of anyone else that we may talk to and I'll tell you regardless of who might have talent or not who might have knowledge or who might have skill or not there is one thing incontestably vital for you to achieve the best results possible in terms of being God's co-workers in bringing people to himself. That is, you must really care. You must really care, first of all, about knowing God, about the holy orthodox faith. You must make worship and prayer and proper Christian behavior the highest priorities in your life. You will be most successful at bringing other people God, if you obviously live and breathe what you say. If your life shows what you're talking about. You talk about all the possibilities that are there in the Holy Orthodox Faith, and I'll tell you the the absolute fullness of all that Jesus brought to the earth is there in the Orthodox Faith. But how many Orthodox people have all of it? I think a few saints. But we don't. I don't, and Patrick, I don't think you quite do yet. You're getting there. You're making progress, but I know you will be most successful. You will with others if you obviously live and breathe what you say, and that doesn't mean putting on an act because that doesn't do anything. That means being, being one who loves God. So you have heard me say that this lesson hit me a long time ago when my eldest son who is now 35 years old well he's not quite 35 he's 34 but it won't be too many months until he'll be 35 was a baby I asked myself what I wanted most of all for him for my children the answer that came to me was that above all else and is above success in this world, above health that he be a true worshiper of God regardless of how little I knew about that I realized that was what I really did want for him that that would be the best thing for him not that he'd be wealthy Not that he'd be successful, not that he'd be comfortable in life, but that he be a true worshiper of God. Well, what do I do to make it happen? Well, I certainly couldn't assure it, but above all else, I must be what I want my children to be, right? In recent years, I've been asking myself the same question concerning my grandchildren, and the answer remains the same, only more so. We all have to ask ourselves that question when we seek to lead someone to the Holy Orthodox Faith. Our top priority is to be as much as lieth in us, to be what we want them to be, true worshipers of the true God who live and breathe to know and be like God. Perhaps we won't live up to that to its fullness. Nevertheless, I'll tell you what we can do. We can repent and go right back to it at any point in our lives. We can repent and repent and repent knowing that the power and the right to know and to be like God are available to us and only our sin keeps us from it. Well, I've said very little. May the God of all truth direct our path.
0: And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, exploring the Orthodox faith through music and liturgy. If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. This is a listener supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio.